0: Hey everybody, welcome to No One Told Me where we believe hindsight is everything. My name is Callie and one of the most requested topics, one of the most asked about topics, when I say we get at least two to three DMs each week just about this topic is community. Okay, you might have heard me say that before. You might have heard me mention that. And it's not honestly one of my favorite things to talk about because it's it's really hard to describe and there's no way to you know say do this this and this and you'll be in the community you crave and as an adult it's just really hard right i mean it's you get in the season where you know your friends are no longer built in right you're not going to class with them every day you're not maybe you're not at work with them every day anymore but there's just this point in adulthood when we just want to be known And sometimes it takes time to get to the point of realizing that's what's missing, a knownness. And so we navigate each season and we carry old relationships and we create new ones. And a lot of those are built on proximity, right? Who's physically around us? Who do we see most days that just naturally become our friends? And then when we phase into a new season, Some friendships just naturally end. And it's no one's fault. You can't point to one thing that has happened or one person that didn't do something. There's just a drift that slowly happens. And I think in those seasons where, you know, maybe you're in a new city or you've started a new job or you have a new husband and or a new baby and something has shifted and it can be so frustrated because you're rolling into a new chapter and you want to do it with people beside you and with you because these big life shifts create big emotional and mental shifts and you just want someone to be like, yeah, I get it. Let's walk through it together and you can show up exactly how you are without having to perform or cover anything up. Because that's like the gold standard of friendship, right? You can be exactly who you are without any fear of changing the relationship. Now, while I don't have a magic community forming formula for you, I do maybe have ways to approach building community. And sometimes you have to start over because these seasons do shift, You drift away, and and you do. You have to start from scratch, but that doesn't mean that you're never going to have community again. It doesn't mean it's never going to happen again. And some points of comfort and encouragement are what I really hope you take away from this. So by the end, you know you're not as alone as you think you are in trying to find your people. The reason I said at the beginning it's one of the most requested and asked about topics is because we're all so hungry for it. In this episode in particular, it's going to be a little different because honestly, I just like to try new things. All right, try to keep it spicy around here. And also a little bit is because I was invited to speak to a local mops group, aka mothers of preschoolers group, which is what a lot of people go to in the seasons when their kids are really little. And you're like, I'm going to lose my ever loving mind if I stay home with like non-adults any longer so you go and you try to find community here and they gave me the topic of community which i wanted to say like thank you next like what is what else you got because i was at a loss as to how to talk about it because the truth of it is i might be super extroverted and could probably talk to a wall and carry on a conversation for 20 plus minutes but when it comes to deep community that knownness I squirm, right? Like, I want to hear all about you. I want to hear your stories. I want to hear what you're walking through, what you're having a hard time with. But it is really hard for me to turn it around and for me to tell you what's hard for me. But we're going to get into that in just a little bit. But as I was trying to think through, okay, what am I going to talk about when it's a topic I'm not even fully comfortable talking about? I got a new perspective on an old story that I have heard so many times growing up, and it called out a fresh approach, a more vulnerable approach to community. And maybe it'll do that for you too. So we're going to spend time this episode kind of dissecting a piece of scripture. We're going to talk through Mark 2 just a little bit. But before we get there to the actual passage, let me set the scene for you. All right. So by the time Mark 2 is being written, Jesus' ministry is in full swing. He was traveling and teaching and healing. Miracles were unfolding and people were talking about it. Now, not everyone believed, but everyone was curious. And so when we come on the scene in Mark 2, We're seeing Jesus right after at the end of Mark 1. He has just healed a demon-possessed man. So his fame is spreading all over Galilee. Everyone is talking about what this man named Jesus can do. And so that explains what we're going to see in these first couple of verses. Mark 2, 1 through 2. When Jesus returned to Capernaum several days later, the news spread quickly that he was back home. Soon, the house where he was staying was so packed with visitors that there was no more room even outside the door. All right, so people were spilling outside the doorway into the street. They were crowding around windows just to hear a little of what Jesus was saying, to hear a little from the man that everyone was talking about. And I want to be honest. This is this is turn off number 1 for me. Okay, my annoyance goes up as soon as I see a crowd or a line. Right? I mean, I was I was at Kroger last week and I was picking up some stuff for dinner that night. And I had maybe, you know, four items that would help complete dinner. And the lines, even for self checkout, were all the way back in the aisles. And I'm gonna be honest with you, I put everything down and I just thought we're gonna we're gonna fast tonight. Okay, we're just we're gonna fast and pray. We don't need a meal every night. That's that's overrated. I just waiting in line just feels like a monumental waste of time to me. So if I'm any of these people, that are rolling up on this house, and it is so crowded that I can't even see the guy that I'm trying to be there and see, that I'm going to like, I'm going to head down and eat a taco and some chips and salsa or something, you know, like, I'm not gonna sit there and wait. But it's important for us to understand the size of this crowd. As we keep reading, Mark twelve two through three, while Jesus was preaching God's word to them, four men arrived, carrying a paralyzed man on a mat. Okay, so this is where my perspective started shifting. And maybe if you've grown up in church, you're like, okay, I remember this story. I know this story, right? I've read it. I've read it so many times. It's one of the first stories that I actually learned in Sunday school, which makes sense now in hindsight, because these Sunday school teachers, you know, they're picking this because it involves like destruction of property later in the story. And if there's anything that's going to make kids like lean in, it's breaking something or tearing something up. But in just this sentence alone, while Jesus was preaching God, God's word to them, four men arrived carrying a paralyzed man on a mat. I saw something that I could only see because of this season of life that I'm in. That is the power of God's word. It's living and breathing and the perfect mirror for where you are right now. It has this ability to show you who you are, who you are called to be and where to go from here. I just can't I can't encourage you enough. I can't say it enough to be in God's word as often as possible. I'm not going to say daily because I'll be honest. I'm not, I don't always, I don't always hit that goal of daily, but as often as you can because of what it is of a reflection of where you are and where he's guiding you to be. So while Jesus was preaching, these men show up, right? And they're probably late simply because they are literally carrying another human being on a mat, So they have the weight of their friend between the four of them. And context tells us that a man fully paralyzed like this, and scholars believe he was paralyzed from the neck down. Well, he was most likely living in isolation. Because culture in that time, if you had this kind of disability, if you were paralyzed or you suffered from some sort of ailment, it was because you had a sin in your life or your family had sinned in their life at some point. And you, this is your consequence. This is your punishment. And if you couldn't bring value to the community, if you didn't know a trade, if you weren't able to work, well, a lot of times they just kind of set you to the side, right? You're, you're unseen. You're living on the fringes of what's happening. And I wonder if you've ever felt like that because it's one of the enemy's greatest tools. And one of the greatest obstacles to true, deep community, that's isolation. Perhaps you're not literally paralyzed, but maybe you are spiritually or emotionally or mentally. It could be a current circumstance or a past decision, words heard from someone else that just you can't seem to get out of your head. or it could simply just be the overwhelm of right now. Any of these can leave you paralyzed. Unable to see a way forward and without really the energy to keep trying to find one. Because it just feels too exhausting, right, to say it out loud, to try to find the words to describe it. Or maybe you're like me and it feels like a burden you don't want to push off on someone else. Like, this is enough for me. I don't don't want you to feel bad for me. I don't want you to pity me, so I'm just not going to say anything. And so we stay stuck on our mat. Are mats of doubt and anger and bitterness or frustration, uncertainty, maybe it's past pain or fear of the future, all the while the enemy is whispering that you're never going to get off of it. You're stuck. There's nowhere for you to go. And maybe you do show up to groups or Sunday services or these meet and greets. You're trying to connect with people. Maybe you're trying to talk to your neighbor and connect with them, And but you leave knowing that you didn't actually let anyone else see your condition. You kept them just far enough away that they wouldn't ask questions or dig in. So just, I want to take a second to remove some shame here, to remove some fear. Because I can say with absolute confidence, there are seasons when you need to be carried. You need people to come around to pick up the four corners of what you're walking through and usher you through, carry you toward the only healer capable of redeeming the broken pieces. Because life in a fallen world, it means a life of falls. Falls that leave us paralyzed and unsure what's next. And lean in with me right here. This is, this is important. If you never let anyone see you fall, If all you present to the world is all the pieces are together, everything looks good. If no one ever sees you fall, if you never let anyone see it, who will be there to pick you up without cultivating deep community, who will carry you and deep community? It doesn't happen all at once. Okay. Like, I've led small groups since I was probably 15 or 16 years old. And I can say with just zero hesitation, the first few times are always weird. Okay, it's always awkward. It's always uncomfortable. There's no way around it. Believe me, I have tried to talk my way around it. I've tried to force my way around it. There is no way around it. It's always weird at first because it takes a steady chipping away at the facade we've so carefully constructed the safety of the walls that we have built around our cracked hearts deep community requires commitment it's a commitment to show up even when you don't feel like it y'all like to cancel plans I, I'm a big like yes let's do it and then it comes up and I'm like I don't know maybe I'm sick you know, I could be, I could be sick and not able to come. I feel like that might be the next move for me, right? Because it's just, I don't know. It's more comfortable not to go. It's a lot of work sometimes. It feels like, right? Like, gosh, I'm gonna have to turn it up for this. I'm gonna have to participate, and that just, it feels like too much. But then I wonder why. Why do I feel like I don't have anybody? Why do I feel? Why are these sometimes these seasons feel so lonely? Why? It's because I don't show up. I don't commit to it to keep plans that you so want to cancel, because it would be more comfortable to just stay by yourself on your mat. The art of showing up for people is really just a choice to be present with people. And the four guys that are carrying their friend, I would imagine that that was like really cumbersome and exhausting and at times frustrating right like you know when you're carrying all the groceries inside the house because absolutely you're not going to make more than one trip from the car to the to the kitchen right and so like you're carrying them on your hands and when you put them down it's like you can't unbend your fingers because i mean you have like a death grip on these groceries to get in the dadgum house without dropping anything right and you can't unbend your fingers. Imagine these guys that were holding just the edges of this mat, trying to get their friend to Jesus and how exhausted they are. And honestly, their friend couldn't do a thing to help them, right? I mean, he could probably like cheer him on a little bit, talk him through it. But he couldn't do anything to help them get him to that house. Showing up means you have zero expectations of what that person can do for you deep community is simply in making being present a priority. And these guys did that. They had heard all the rumors about Jesus. So they gathered around their broken friend, and they carried him to the feet of Jesus in spite of all the reasons not to do it. Look at verse four, it says, they couldn't bring him to Jesus because of the crowd. So after that whole journey, Right? They are carrying and dragging and wrestling their friend to the house. Like I can imagine at one point, I'm like, just stop talking to me. No one talked to me, right? Like we're just, trying, I just got to get to this house. I can't talk about it anymore. And then they get there and they can't even get in. I'm going to be honest with you. I would be so ticked off, right? It's like when I was trying to wrestle last year's fall pants onto um my five-year-old like last week. And halfway up, I'm sweating and I'm telling him to jump. I'm like, just jump. They'll come up. Like, just let me jerk them up. I can do this. And I just, let me tell you, they didn't, they did not fit. They weren't coming on. They were not, it was not going to happen. Those are now in a local carm store. But it's that frustration of like, I know this should work. Why isn't it working? And these four friends, they had talked amongst themselves, right? They were like, hey, I've heard about this guy, Jesus. He heals people. I'm, I know he can do that for our friend. And they're so sure it's what he needed. And they started down the road toward the house only to see they couldn't get in. Have you ever been so sure what God was asking of you until it got hard? Sometimes it's not even a big obstacle, right? Like what's in your way? Sometimes it's just plans that you made that didn't work out. So you chalk it up to trying and you move on. Sometimes it's a circumstance that just... It is not what you thought it would be. It's not what you imagined it would be. So you want to throw that obedience in reverse. All right, like, get me out of this. I, I'm sorry, God, I got this all wrong. These men, they believed so much in what Jesus could do that they carried their friend all the way to the house. That was obstacle number one. Getting him from point A to point B was obstacle number one. And then they couldn't even get in the dadgum house. That's obstacle number two. And at that point, I truly, I think I would be like, dude i got you as close as i could get you all right let's just let's just yell for gc if he'll come out here to you but we so quickly believe the lie that these very promises that god made to us that they're not for us because it gets hard because it doesn't look the way we thought it would look because there's an obstacle in the way and let me tell you something discomfort does not mean you're getting it wrong. A few years ago, uh, I wrote my friend Genevieve a note. And it was right when she was just starting out in ministry and she had hit a hard patch. And what's so amazing about God is that I wrote that to her to comfort and encourage her in that moment. And when she sent me a few weeks ago, she was cleaning stuff out, and she sent me a picture of this note. And it ministered to me in my hard season in that moment. But I was reminding her, The words of Jesus in Matthew when he says, Take up your cross and follow me. You know, I've only ever paid attention to the take up your cross part because that seems like the really hard part, right? I mean, imagine it for a second. What would it feel like to physically pick up the cross and try to walk? I mean, it's huge, right? Like, how would you hold it? Are you going to put it on your back? Are you going to drag it? You're obviously not going to move very quickly, right? It would just, it would all be so uncomfortable. Every step would just be a reminder of the discomfort. But that's only when you're focusing on your feet, right? That's only when you're just looking down in front of you and all your thoughts are around how you don't want to be doing it. But the second part of that verse take up your cross and follow me. I think we get so focused on the cross we have to bear on the hard thing we're carrying on the burden that's so uncomfortable that we just can't see how we're going to make it another step or we get so focused on this is not happening fast enough I'm not moving at the pace I want to be moving at it's like we all have these imaginary deadlines right like a time cap and if we don't get to certain points in our life when we thought we were going to be at those points in our lives then well we're getting it all wrong then or Maybe we think it's not so much we think we are. Maybe we're like, God, you're kind of getting it wrong. This isn't how this was supposed to look. But I have to ask you, if we really imagine that scenario and we're carrying that cross and we're doing what Jesus asked us to do, and he's right in front of us and he's telling us, follow me, keep your eyes on me. Would we, do you think you would drop the cross right there and be like, you know, this is too hard, Jesus. Like what you're asking of me, it's a little much you know, and it might be hard, like I get it. But I don't think we would drop it and look at Jesus in the eyes and say, this is not for me. And yet, we do that all the time. When things are hard, we cower and we hide, I cower and I hide. And I have to tell you, deep community is uncomfortable. When you show up and feel uncomfortable, it doesn't mean this isn't the group for me. Because if it was the right group, I would feel, I would feel great. When you're walking in obedience and it is not what you thought it would be, that doesn't mean you're getting it wrong. Our God is, he's not working on some transactional system. Or it's like, hey, all right, I got you. I'm going to do what you're asking of me. Now let me give you A, B, and C of what should happen at this point. That is not how it works. And so I just have to say, to be in deep community, you have to try Even when it's uncomfortable. In those first few times together, like we said, as you build that healthy connection, it's going to be uncomfortable, but that doesn't mean you drop it. You keep showing up and you lean in because vulnerability is uncomfortable, but not for long. It gets easier. There's a base community, community, communication theory, um, and it's called the onion theory. And it talks about peeling back the layers like an onion right? It takes time. You got to work through it. You got to get through the surface stuff and then to the deep stuff. And that kind of vulnerability is reciprocal. When, when you're vulnerable, someone else is vulnerable, but someone has to start it. And more people have to have that willingness to start it. Because many don't want to weather the hard part. Discomfort doesn't mean you're getting it wrong. The cross may be heavy. It may be really hard to hold. But when your eyes are on Jesus, You can keep steadily putting one foot in front of the other. And these guys, that's what they did. They wanted their eyes on Jesus. They wanted their friend's eyes on Jesus. And they believed in the power and his ability to heal their friends. So they came up with another plan. Remember, they saw the house was full. They couldn't even get to Jesus. The rest of verse four says, so they dug a hole through the roof above his head. How resourceful. I mean, you want to talk about resourcefulness. This is what it is. Okay, so. they get to the house and they're like, dang, there's so many people tightly packed in here and around the house. There's no way to even get through the door, let alone like to Jesus. And during this time in history, in this region, most homes, they had staircases on the side of the houses leading up to the flat roof. And what I really love about these guys is they spotted a solution. They spotted a way forward that most would have overlooked, Right. That's the value of deep community. Sometimes we get so clouded by our circumstances, by what's going on around us, by our thoughts and our feelings, that we can't see clearly. But when you have people around you who love you and love Jesus, they can step in and maybe they can see a way that you couldn't see at all. So these guys, they carry their buddy over to the stairs. They haul him all the way up to the roof. And roofs, like we were talking about, in this culture, they were not... um, they were not angled they weren't shingled none of that right they were flat and the first century palestinian roofs they were composed of these large stone tiles that were actually pretty easy to slide in and out of place right so these guys they kind of brush some of the dirt out of the out of the sides and out of the way and stick their fingers in the cracks of this tile and slowly lift it up and move it and they attach some rope to the four corners of this mat and they look at their friend and they say hey just trust us a little longer right and i'm just thinking about the the friend that's just laying on the mat and he's like i don't really have a choice i mean you have me up here on the roof like what am i going to do right like i I have to do i have to go along with this plan and and then the last part of verse four happens then they lowered the man on his mat right down in front of jesus this is so good i mean this is like this is it because think about it i mean just imagine it jesus is teaching. All of these people are leaning in. They're trying to catch every word. And suddenly a piece of the roof is missing, right? Just this beam of light is coming through before it was being partially blocked by like a shadow of something that they can't quite make out. And they're like, what is coming in through the roof? And it's getting lower and lower. And eventually they see that it's a, it's a man on a mat. And when, when you look back up, you think, well, how is he get down here? And you just see the heads of four guys leaning over the edge, expectant. Because here's the thing, them lowering him in through the roof proves the faith and belief they already had in Jesus. They knew he could heal their friend because truly, I mean, think about it. The motion of lowering him is far less difficult than the motion of trying to pull him back up. It would, it would be almost impossible to try to pull him back up through the roof. So they were counting on him walking out of that house. And I know that there are seasons when our personal faith, it feels so small, right? Like I can only imagine what the paralyzed man was thinking is, it's kind of embarrassing. I'm going to be out here for everyone. Like, what if it is that? What, What if it doesn't work? And we have that small faith weakened by disappointment and doubt. But when you carry that small faith, that flickering candle that's barely hanging on, when you carry that to your people, to deep community, they start fanning that flame with you, sometimes for you. Breathing new life, reminding you of the God who said he would, the God who already has and he'll do it again. They remind you that God did not say he would fight with you or behind you. In Exodus, he says, I will fight for you. And when you cannot fight anymore, he gently nudges people into our lives that start fighting for us. The people that pray expectantly to a God of abundance who, according to Psalm 23, is the God whose goodness and unfailing love pursues us all the days of our lives, even the days we can't get up from the mat. But no one can pray if no one knows. If we keep it in, it'll never work its way out. These people in your life that are fighting for you, they're the ones whose only goal is to get you to jesus they will listen they will empathize they will try their best to understand but their heart and their passion is to get you to the feet of jesus no matter what let's finish in mark 2 5 it says seeing their faith jesus said to the paralyzed man my child your sins are forgiven And later on, a few verses later, after some arguing with the Pharisees, which those Pharisees, they're always trying to butt in, you know what I'm saying? But Jesus tells the man, hey, pick up your mat and walk. The faith of his friends literally and figuratively carried him. But the work of Jesus, that's what healed him inwardly and outwardly. So I'm not saying pursuing community will heal you. I'm saying deep community will bring you to healing. To the healer. Jesus looked at each of this man's friends and he saw expectancy. It says, seeing their faith, not seeing who they are, not seeing what status they were, not seeing if they really deserve this, seeing their faith. A faith with maybe not deep roots just yet, but a desperation to know more. And this is before Jesus would die on the cross and three days later walk out of the grave. This is before he would promise everlasting life. And if they can have faith like that, knowing so little, why do we struggle to have that kind of faith when we know the rest of the story? Why don't we pray with expectancy? Right? Why don't we pray with the faith that these guys had? Like, Jesus is going to do this. Why don't we pray for that community that we ache for, that we long for? Why don't we put those words and place it at the feet of Jesus and say, hey, God, I'm hurting right now. This is hard right now. I would love some people around me. Will you bring them into my life? But maybe for you, I know we focused a lot on our paralyzed friend on the mat. Maybe that's not where you see yourself right now, right? Maybe maybe you're more so the friend in this scenario. You're trying to be there for people. But the way that you do that is by offering solutions and answers that maybe aren't yours to give. You just want to solve the problem, not walk them to the healer. We can accidentally mistype ourselves as the healer, right? Bring it to me. Let me fix it. You know, I'm a fixer. That's me. If someone brings me something hard, I'm immediately listing five to six ways we can work our way out of it or through it, right? I want to get you to the solution so fast, but I'm moving so fast. I don't take the time to really consider the heart of the person sharing with me because when someone invites you in, it's a privilege. It's an honor to walk with them, to be led into the hard parts, and so a friend taught me to say, she's, she's one of those great friends that like calls you out when it's like, hey, this isn't your role right now. Like you're coming in hot with all these answers. I'm not coming to you for answers. But she said, maybe try a different approach. What if you just said, you know, my heart hurts for you right now. I'm already praying over you. But how can I walk with you in this moment? Do you, do you need me to simply be present with you? Do you want to talk through it with me? Do you want to try to get to a solution? Or do you want me to distract you for a little while? Right? Do you want to go get your mind off of it? Give them options so that you see them and you see their heart right where they are. Your responsibility as the friend is not to have every answer. It's to gently nudge them toward the one holding every answer. And because these friends were pivotal in changing the trajectory of the paralyzed man's life, I bet that guy was so quick to be the friend that he needed in that season to someone else in a similar season, right? He is rolling out of that house with that old dirty mat under his arm. And when he's passing people, he is pointing it and said, I used to be here. I used to be stuck here. Let me tell you what Jesus did on my behalf. Let me tell you why I'm different. That is the heart of community. Reminders that someone has been where you are, someone has felt what you feel, and someone can show you the way through when you just can't see one. So right now, you either need that someone right now, or you're meant to be that someone right now. Don't wait. Don't wait to be asked out on a play date or to be texted or to be invited to dinner or any of those things. Be the inviter, be the instigator of deep community. It can start with you. And it probably won't be comfortable at first. And your plans may not always work out. Don't be offended. Don't take it personally. Keep showing up. Keep trying. Carry the map, Or allow yourself to be carried. Just don't stay where you are. I'm with you in it. I get it. I know it can be hard. But there's still something that you can do, and I'm right here cheering for you the whole way.